0: Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men quit pornography. So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Uh,
1: this morning, I have a great honor and privilege of introducing our speaker for this morning, Drew Boa, who's coming to talk about detox from the pollution of porn. As you can imagine, this is a challenging topic and he's spoken at other Christian colleges across the country uh, with a deep, deep sense of his own calling to set people free from porn addiction. He has a unique gift of talking about these challenges in a way that's transparent, shame-free, and points the human heart back to God while listening to our own stories. I believe we're going to be blessed by Drew today when he shares about his own journey and how he ministers to others. Drew completed his undergraduate and graduate degree from Ween College and is the author of Redeemed Sexuality. Marty Ferry, author of No Stones, Women Redeemed from Sexual Addiction, says this about Drew. He is a man wise beyond his years. The Christian community needs to hear lots more from Andrew Boa, and I cannot agree more. He lives in Santa Barbara, California with his wife and daughter where he loves running on the shore and swimming on the ocean in a wetsuit. In the morning, Drew works from his laptop writing, teaching, and coaching others. And in the afternoon, he takes care of their two-year-old daughter, Chloe. This is Drew's first time to the East Coast, and let's give him a warm Messiah welcome.
0: Hello, Messiah College. It's good to see you. I have only been here two days, but I already love your school, and I love you all even though I haven't met any of you. Um, I went to a school similar to this called Wheaton College, but Wheaton has one thing, no, Wheaton lacks one thing that Messiah always has, Wheaton will never have, never has had, and that is a beautiful scenic river system running right through your campus. Who loves the Yellow Breeches? Yeah? Okay. Well, I was there last night with my little family. Mike described it very picturesquely as if we have this perfect life. We don't. So we were there last night, but I couldn't get enough. So I went back this morning. And the reason why is because that river, that stream, right? I saw some fish jumping. I saw some ducks. There was mist on the water. It was beautiful. That stream is a picture for you of our topic for this morning, which is sexuality. It's this beautiful part of God's creation. It's this beautiful part. That the yellow breeches are part of Messiah's identity. Sexuality is not sex. That's not what I'm talking about today. Sex is a behavior. Sex is an activity, which you may or may not be participating in at this point in your life. Sexuality is something that everybody has. It's part of your identity. and And this part of who you are is what, it, it's what drives us to connect with each other. Just like the Yellow Breaches. The Yellow Breaches is a place where I'm sure you've had great conversations with people. Maybe you've had intimacy with God there. It's, it's a place that brings people together. It's a place of pleasure. It's a place of play. And that's where our sexuality is designed to be. That's what it's, that's what it's for. It's, I like to call it our engine for intimacy. It's, it's this engine within you. That is pushing you outside of yourself. So that you're not content just to be alone in life. That you seek out God. That you seek out other people. And you form deep relationships. Because that's what we're made for. So before I say anything else. First of all, your sexuality is good. It's beautiful. And like the yellow breeches. It also works differently. At different times. Your sexual desires are not all the same. Some of them are different. You have urges. And you have aches. We all have these things. Urges and aches, okay? A sexual urge is like when a flash flood comes and the, re- the yellow breaches overflows. It's like exploding. You can barely contain it. Now, that only lasts for a little while. You know, probably only a few days out of the year here. Um, and when you have a sexual urge, usually they only last about half an hour if you let it actually run its course. A lot of times if you're struggling with something like porn, you'll, you won't get that far. But I'm telling you, your urges are short, but they're intense. That's one type of sexual desire. Most of the time, the yellow breeches and, and your sexuality kind of has this low, slow flow. That's what I saw this morning. That's more of an ache. It's kind of this low-burning desire in the background of your life. Maybe it's a longing for a boyfriend or for a girlfriend, or maybe it's just a longing for a hug, just for some kind of connection, some kind of intimacy. This is, this is the kind of ache that so many of us feel. Um, I see some of you like like talking to each other and touching each other right now. Just, just tell somebody it's okay to have urges and aches. Can you just tell somebody that? It's okay. It's okay, people. It's okay. All right, now stop. It's okay. that was the most remarkable thing I've never seen any I I like saw all around the room people were like hugging each other were like comforting each other like oh my gosh you feel this right most of you are not married uh who wants to be married okay a lot of people want to be married okay yeah take notes around the room but the reality is the reality is people you're not married okay But you have these desires, you have these urges, you have these aches, so what do we do with them? This is a question that we haven't answered very well as the church. This is a question that I'm going to talk to you about today. What do you do with all this sexual energy that you have? And how do you heal from all the sexual influences that you've had? Just like the yellow breeches, our sexuality is fragile, It can be corrupted, it can be polluted, it can be harmed. And I've also noticed out there this morning that there have been some restoration projects that have happened on that river. And I want you to know also that your sexuality can be restored. It can be healed. You can be healed not only from your sexual behavior, but even from the battle, even from the struggle. I know that might even sound impossible to you. But I've experienced it, and I I want you to experience that. So we're going to go there this morning. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a few of my sexual influences, things that have contributed to my formation and my deformation. And then I'm going to give you three simple things, just three simple things, a way that you can embrace and express your sexuality without necessarily indulging it without necessarily giving into it, that you can be a sexual person and be fully alive sexually in line with God's design, in line with the gospel, right where you are right now. You don't have to be married. Okay, that's where we're going. So my first sexual influence I want to tell you about was my family. In my family, we didn't talk about sex. I didn't even know the word sexuality. There was one thing my parents did tell me, though, which was, you can probably guess it, don't have sex until you're married. First of all, which assumed that I would get married someday. Wasn't really sure about that. That was a big assumption. And second of all, they just told me what not to do. Like, what am I supposed to do? So this created an attitude within me of repression. Of sex is bad, sex is gross, sex is dirty, don't talk about it. And yet, there was also the sense that one day, maybe it could become good. So it's like. Sex is bad until you get married, and then it's good. So, so basically, what I heard from that was sex is gross and dirty. Therefore, save it for someone you really love. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? You're laughing. I'm guessing it's because you've kind of felt the same way. This is what I'm calling sexual repression. Let me control those desires. That river is flowing through my life, through my heart. It's, it's my sexuality, and I want to try to stop it and shut it down, or at the very least, make sure it doesn't cause any problems. Um, being a sexual person is something maybe I can save for later. That is repression. That is one strategy for handling your sexuality. I also was influenced by friends. And I'm actually not talking about my peer group. I'm talking about the show Friends. Does anybody watch this show? Yes? I know, right? It's free on Netflix. So, when I was a kid, actually, I had the tapes, I had the VCR tapes. Um, I don't know why my parents let me watch this show, very mature show. And I probably watched every episode of every season, and I learned a lot of things about my sexuality from friends. Listen, in, in the show, if you're not familiar with it, sex is kind of the center of the show. And Yeah, they're friends, but like most of what they talk about is is like who they're having sex with or not having sex with and how it's going. So on the one hand, I learned something good, which is that it's okay to talk about my sexuality. It's okay to be a sexual person. Um, And it's good. And yet on the other hand, sex was the center of their lives. If their sex life was going well, they were happy, they were fulfilled, things were good. And if it wasn't going well, if they weren't having sex, or if, or if they were but it was going poorly, they were depressed, they were anxious, they were lonely, life was horrible. And so I got, I got this attitude too. And in Friends, there's actually, there's actually an episode where two of the characters, Chandler and Joey, find that they have this porn channel and they only keep it on the channel the whole time. And it's very funny. But they're, they're embodying this attitude, not of repression, but of sexual release. My sexual desires, I have them, and I can be happy if I can release them and do what I want sexually. And usually, what happens in our lives is we go back and forth between repression and release. Inside the church, we feel this pressure to repress our sexuality, to shut down, never talk about it, keep your behavior under control. And outside the church, we feel this pressure to release it, to be like... Chandler and Joey and Phoebe and Rachel and Monica, I don't know if you like this show. I think you do, probably. But to, to allow yourself to have what you want sexually, no boundaries, no limits, and to simply fulfill your desires. And both of these options ultimately hurt us and harm us in the end. So here's, here's kind of the, the, the result of this in my life. So I thought, okay, okay, Sex is bad, at least for now, so I'm gonna repress it for as long as I can, and then one day I'll get the release. Right? So, in my mind, it was like, okay, hold your breath sexually, and then when I get married, I can finally let it all out. I was pinning a lot of hopes on getting married on my wedding night, and there's one more influence that was really affecting me between those childhood days and when I got married, and that was pornography. So from a young age, I became attached to pornography and masturbation, and that had a huge influence on me sexually. And I know that for many of you in this room, it has also influenced you. Before I make it sound like there are some of you who are okay sexually and some of you are not, porn has affected us all. It's like this insidious, invasive species or this toxic chemical that's come into the river of, of this campus, of our world, of our lives, and it's affecting us all. At least 70% of the men in this room actively seek out porn once a month. If you are between the ages of 18 and 30, maybe more. Also, for women, the numbers are rising. My guess is about 50% of the women in here watch porn for some reason, sometimes. And not only that, if you're in a relationship with somebody, if you're dating or if you plan to be dating, this is big deal for you. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend may also have a problem with porn. Maybe it's a family member for you. Maybe your dad has been addicted for years and this has really affected your life. Porn is something we all need to deal with. It's a a huge influence. And I kind of thought that getting married would take it away. Because once I have this release in marriage, for all of my urges when they come, and for the deep-seated aches and longings that I have, once I have that sexual release and that outlet, I should be fine, right? It'll, It'll be the solution for my problem. Let me tell you what actually happened. So, June 5th, 2016, I get married. By the way, if you actually go through with that plan in your life, it's really exhausting. Uh, <laughs> engagement is, is really hard because you're trying to plan an event while doing your life, and then you got to move, then you got to get married and do the ceremony, and then you get the reception. So by the time we got to the hotel that night, I was so drained. It wasn't like the romantic, amazing wedding night that I pictured. But we get to the hotel, and my wife and I, I mean, I always thought that it was really hard to keep our physical boundaries in our relationship, so I thought, well, having sex should be no problem. This is going to be the the high point of everything. And this is when I thought, all right, this is sexual union. This is what I was waiting for. Here comes the release. I have this beautiful woman in front of me who I love, who loves me, and nothing is happening in my body. Intellectually, I was so there. I was like, she's amazing. She's amazing. I'm attracted. This is awesome. And in, in my brain, in my body, I was unable to respond to her. I was experiencing something usually old men experience, which is called erectile dysfunction. Let me tell you, erectile dysfunction used to be something that only 3% of men in their 20s experienced. Since the arrival of internet porn, that number has risen to 30%. And the reason why is porn. Porn-induced erectile dysfunction. This is, this, let me tell you how this works. When you condition yourself, starting with as a teenager, maybe even as an elementary school kid, to have intense sexual experiences by yourself in a room with a computer screen, whatever images and fantasies you can come up with right there on the screen, and to be stimulated by your own body, by your own hand, by your own mind, and be completely in control of that situation, it inhibits you from being able to fully connect with other people, both socially and sexually. And so what I was experiencing was about 10 years of conditioning of my brain and my body now showing up in the middle of marriage. So what do I do when I'm in bed with my new wife and I'm completely turned off. I wonder what you would do. Well, I thought, okay, this is incredibly disappointing, this is incredibly embarrassing. Maybe I'll try to think of something that is sexually attractive to me. So, in my head, that night, I had the adult film studio rolling through, trying in vain to produce a sexual response. And the reason I tell you this story is, first of all, Because that's real. The wedding is not the solution. Marriage is not the savior that's going to save you from your sexual urges and aches. And secondly, that repression is not a good strategy. Release is not a good strategy. But I wonder wonder what people in the church would have told me to do that night. I wonder what they would have thought about my sexual fantasies. Should I just repress them? Or maybe people outside of the church should have said, bro, you should just release them. Maybe you could do some role-playing. Maybe you should tell her what those fantasies are, and you could try to make them happen. Release and repression will always result in pollution of the relationship. They're not good, but there's something better out there. There's something, an approach based on the gospel, based on the love of Jesus Christ, based on compassion and curiosity, which has allowed me not to get rid of my sexual fantasies or my sexual desires or my urges or my aches, but to be able to love myself in the midst of them, and to be able to love other people in the midst of them. And that's what I want to share with you today. Usually, when it comes to the problem of porn, or the problem of sexual behavior, unhealthy relationships, the church has responded with control. Maybe you got to get an accountability partner. You should go join a group. You should get that software on your computer. Or maybe you should just have really strong boundaries. You should control your sexuality as much as you can, There's a different way. Not repressed sexuality, not released sexuality, but redeemed sexuality. That's what my book is about, redeemed sexuality. And here's here's what that looks like. When you have a sexual desire that comes your way, that's like totally overwhelming, really strong urge. Or when you have a sexual attraction that comes your way, you're like, wow, I'm really attracted to this person. But that relationship might not be the healthiest I don't really want to pursue it, but I feel really drawn to it. What do you do? What do you do when these things start flowing down the current in your heart? How do you respond to your sexual urges and aches? I'm going to give you the way that the love of Christ has taught me to do it. Three things. Look, listen, and love. This is not about lust management. This is what Jay Stringer would call listening to your lust and having a response of curiosity and compassion. So first is look. Look, face your sexual desires. Face your fantasies for what they are. No matter how disgusting they might be to you. No matter how how difficult it might be to tell somebody else about them. Just to come face to face with it. To own it. Remember, your sexual desires, your fantasies, your attractions, they're not bad. They're this beautiful part of how God created you. Now, what you do with those desires and attractions, that can be a problem. But in and of themselves, your desires are actually very important. It's important to look at them. It's important to name them. Let me tell you a little bit about my sexual fantasy. Listen, I'm not going to tell you the details. Don't worry. Don't worry. Here's what I had to look at. Here's what I had to name for myself. In all of my sexual fantasies, when I'm alone in my bedroom with the computer, there was a pattern of the things that I would watch. This is the stuff that we never talked about in the accountability groups. Okay, what did you type into that search bar? What, what images are you putting up, pulling up on Google Images when you, when you look for stuff? Or, or even, what? so what patterns do you see in the relationships with girls that are unhealthy for you? Or, or with boys if you're a woman? The pattern for me was one of power and domination. So in all of my sexual scenarios and all of the images and themes that I had, the story that was playing out was one where I was in control, I was in power, and the other person who I was having the sexual experience with was either submitting to me or didn't like it. And that's what turned me on. Now, there were very specific things. Something called a paraphilia. Some of you might know it as a sexual fetish. Something that's very specific and, and weird that also would be part of those fantasies. And I had a lot of self-hatred about that. Why do I like these things? Why am I attracted to them? Why do I keep coming back to them? I don't know yet. It's really hard. That's the first part though, is just naming that. And maybe you're not ready to name that to somebody else yet, and that's okay. If you are, it can be incredibly freeing just to tell somebody about it, but it doesn't stop there. After you look, you gotta listen. Usually, this is where we think, okay, no, 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 I gotta put that away. I hate myself about this. I have to get rid of that sexual fantasy, that sexual attraction, it's not okay. I'm offering you a different approach, one of curiosity, asking, where is this coming from? If you see this desire or this fantasy or this behavior floating down the river, um, what if instead of, of trying to control it, you asked, I wonder, I wonder where upriver, upstream, this might be coming from? So after you name your fantasies and you face your fantasies, you got to trace your fantasies. Trace it back in your life. There are really two ways that this usually happens. One is repetition, and one is reversal. Let me explain that a little bit. So if you have a sexual fantasy, or if you have something you're sexually attracted to, you're like, I don't understand it. I don't know why this is affecting me so much. The first thing you got to ask is, okay, how does it make me feel? And when have I felt that way before? Usually, there's something in your life that's being repeated some part of your past that's coming back. Especially for those of you who are attracted to something that really hurts or that is harming you, usually there's something from your past, a storyline where you've been harmed in the past that's being repeated. That's really deep. That's one. That's repetition. For me, the sexual fetish thing, the, the specific thing that I was attracted to, If I traced it back, I would would go back to my middle school years. I was 13 years old where this thing was very present. And so that's a clue. That's part of my roadmap. Your sexual desires, they are a roadmap for how you need to heal in your life. And when when you not only look at them, but when you listen to them, you'll begin to trace this back in your story. So that's repetition. The other kind is reversal. This is where you ask, Okay, how does this sexual fantasy or something make me feel? When have I felt the exact opposite? So for me, with power and domination, I had, to, okay, I had to ask, Okay, when have I felt the opposite of that? And here's where it took me back to. Rather than feeling like I was in power, when I was 13 years old in that place, that I will tell you a little bit more about, I felt totally powerless. Completely powerless. Powerless. I had moved across the country. I had moved from, actually, from Canada to Texas, where I was a small boys' school, private school, to a huge school with boys and girls, and I felt socially overwhelmed. I had no one to talk to. I felt angry at my dad. I felt betrayed at my dad. I felt powerless, and so it made sense to me that I would fantasize about situations where I was in power over those same girls, with those same themes. And once I could listen to that, then I could do something different. Look, listen, and finally, love. When those sexual fantasies and those sexual behaviors come back and I get triggered now, I'm not just seeing the image or the video or the the scenario. I can see through it to a little boy who needs to be loved. And I can say, hello, childhood. And then me and Jesus and 13-year-old Drew, we can hug, we can have a conversation. This is called self-compassion, or as psychologists sometimes call it, parenting your inner child. Beneath your problem with porn, if you have one, there is a little child who needs to be loved. And once you can understand that, then you can look at your sexual fantasies and your behaviors and your attractions and your urges and your aches and you can listen to them for the story that they're telling about your life, and you can begin to love yourself, joining the love of Jesus for you. So this is a completely different approach than repression. This is not release either. This is learning to embrace and express your sexual desires in ways that are healthy and holy. Once you can look, listen, and love, your sexual desires... They don't need to be repressed. They don't need to be released. They need to be redeemed. They need to be received by you because they're a roadmap to how you need to be healed. And ultimately, I hope you receive them as an invitation from God into your heart, into your story, into intimacy with him and with others. That is what sexuality is all about. And I want to say one more thing. In California, we don't have rivers, but we do have the ocean. One time, I took a surf lesson, and uh, the surf surf instructor said, Drew, bro, stop competing with the ocean. You're never going to win. I was struggling against those waves so hard, he said, start collaborating with the ocean. That's what I want for you and your sexuality. When those waves come, those sexual waves come at you, and they feel so strong, stop fighting them. Start working with them. Let them move you into a life of Christ-like love. Thanks, everyone. I hope to see you tonight at Evening Chapel. Thanks for having me.